welcome to the Dietitian Dad Podcast. I am Michael Murphy, father of three, registered dietitian, and your dad when it comes to weight loss, nutrition, and health. No quick fixes or easy answers here, just evidence-based advice to help you permanently change your life. Hello again, everyone, and welcome to the sixth podcast. I am blown away by the reactions I've gotten to every, from everybody and the feedback. Everybody is pretty much enjoying my podcast so far. I just got done with a three-part series on everything you need to know about weight loss surgery that I'm very proud of. So if you haven't listened to that yet, please go ahead and do that. Um, but we're going to get a little bit away from the weight loss surgery in this podcast, and we're going to talk about what I think are misconceptions in the in what I think are misconceptions in the patients that I have seen over the years. I have noticed a lot of uh, the same responses or concerns that I tend to have to fight the patients on in terms of convincing them that what they think is not true. But before we get into that, I do want to again thank you very much for listening. I know your time is valuable. I know when I listen to podcasts, I don't have a lot of time, so I'm keeping these fairly short and succinct. I want you to learn something new. If you do enjoy this, I do ask that you leave a review. It really does help get the word out for the podcast. So whether it's a good or a bad review, I'll take anything you have to say. It will also help me improve as well. Most of my episodes are going to focus on weight loss and health. And I recently posted a TikTok that explored the basically gave advice to somebody who had just lost a lot of weight, maybe 20, 30, 40 pounds. And I gave some tips on how to make sure you don't immediately gain that weight back, which is one of the most common things I see. And one of the things I mentioned in there was that a person should exercise every day unless there was an emergency that would stop them. Of course, there's always circumstances. And it's the first time I got a lot of pushback on anything I posted on social media because a lot of people thought that seven days a week was too much. It set somebody up for failure. Uh, the body needs a rest day, which is what I got a lot as well. And it, it puzzled me. Maybe their thought was that when I said exercise, it was something very extreme, something that took an hour or two hours, something that involved a lot of heavy weights or, or extreme exercising. When in fact, what I'm just pointing out is that we should be moving every day in general. But when you're in a weight loss mode, you really do have to dedicate a lot of your time to keeping that weight off and losing more weight. And that means exercise every day. Um, it doesn't have to be an hour. It just has to be moving every day. The body of ours that we all have is not meant to sit 12 hours a day, which is what most of us do, or sleep. And I think that that concept of a rest day has gotten a little bit too far in terms of uh, um, us accepting that we need a day off. And in, in, in reality, it's just a matter of being active every single day that you can. And that was the point I was trying to make there. Okay, let's get into this. So one of the biggest misconceptions or possibly truths that I want to explore really at the top of this podcast is that whole idea of eating late and whether it causes a person to gain more weight or be um, have a harder time losing weight. And you would think I would simply say, which you probably heard is, um, it doesn't matter when you eat. It really just matters on how many calories that you eat a day. And yes, there's a lot of truth behind that. And I want to, I definitely want to set that out there first in terms of it is about how many calories you consume in a 24 hour period of time not as much as when you eat those calories. The first reason the misconception has been around so long is because a person is more likely to eat junkier food late at night versus during the day. Um, ice cream, cookies, candies, things like that. They're not gonna eat a salad at 11 o'clock at night. So you can argue that they would probably more likely gain weight if they did eat late. However, 
let's assume that they didn't eat those types of foods and they ate kind of a normal, um, I guess you would argue, uh, an, uh, not a high calorie option later at night. Is that, does that still hold true in terms of will they be more likely to gain the weight? And just to let you know, in general, I would not advise somebody eating right before bed. I just don't feel like it's a good habit to be in. So in general, that would that would be my advice. But if I dive into the, the research, some of that literature, and I want to just go over one study because we don't have a lot of time to cover multiple studies here. But there was a study done last year in 2020, and it was done by the Endocrine Society. It was published, and it was a very small sample, so it was only 20 people. But, but bear with me on this because it's kind of interesting, and it really promotes the concept of blood glucose in terms of relationship to um, hunger and to the ability of the body to lose weight or not lose weight. And I want to keep this non-boring, so let me just quickly go over that, what that study was. You might be interested to hear. They studied 20 healthy volunteers. That's important to know. They were 10 men and 10 women, and they wanted to see how they metabolized their dinner, which, in other words, broken down their dinner, at 10 p.m. compared to 6 p.m. So it was very interesting. Four more hours later... All the volunteers went to bed at 11 p.m., so the 10 p.m. volunteers went to bed one hour later. And what these researchers found was that the blood sugar levels were higher, um, and the amount of that ingested fat that they burned was lower with the later dinner, even when the same meal was provided at the two different times. So they were able to find a, a distinct difference in how the, the, the fat and the, and the food was metabolized when the person ate closer to bed. And on average, the peak glucose level after that late dinner was about 18% higher, and the amount of fat burned overnight decreased by 10% compared to eating an earlier dinner. And that doesn't even take into account these effects on somebody who may be obese or have more weight on them. It might be even worse in terms of the response. These were, again, healthy volunteers who I assume were not overweight. And just to note, the participants... They were studied very closely. They wore activity trackers. They had their blood sampled every hour, and they went under. They underwent sleep studies, body fat scans. They ate food that contained non-radioactive labels so, so that that rate of fat burning or that oxidation could be determined. It was a very detailed study, and this study was actually supported by a very important foundation, the National Institutes of Health and the American Heart Association. There still needs to be done a lot more on this to find out more information, bigger uh, studies on with more people in terms of this. But what we can take away from this, and it's very important, is that, you know what, let's just go with the with the idea of not eating late. I mean, that's it, I don't think it's going to hurt anyone. We're not 100% sure if it's going to affect you, but why not stop eating at a certain time of night, let's say three to four hours before you go to bed. I know most of us know this, and I know may, many of you listening to this may already do this, but I wanted to give some at least some information to you as to why that's possibly a good idea and that you might think of that when you're kind of just itching around for some food at 9 or 10 at night. It might stop you from doing that. Okay, let's go into the next one. A lot of my patients feel like you should skip breakfast because, of course, you're eating more calories. Therefore, you will more likely lose weight. And, of course, intermittent fasting is very popular these days, which is going to be another way of skipping breakfast. So I want to dive into that for a few minutes here and look into that a little bit closer. First, what I want to point out is that after seeing thousands of weight loss patients over the years, the one thing that they almost all have in common is that almost all of them normally don't eat breakfast. That's just a general rule. They're not following a certain diet. They just don't eat breakfast. And I've mentioned this in a previous podcast, but that may have to do with the fact that they're obviously not hungry in the morning. They have put on enough weight to where their body has not signaled that hunger with the ghrelin secretion. 
so that they don't eat in the morning or what have you. But that's another factor that may have an indication that they have slowed down their metabolism. So take that for what it's worth, but there definitely is a correlation between not eating breakfast and being heavier in a lot of people. And there are studies that do support this. But one study I do want to point out right now is a very interesting one. It is also done by the Endocrine Society. And this one I found fascinating. Even though it wasn't a large population of people, it was 16 men that they looked at. They did want to look at if they had a larger breakfast, what that did to their metabolism, specifically something called diet-induced thermogenesis, also known as DIT. It's basically a measurement of how our our metabolism is working, and that can change depending on when we eat. The results showed that a meal eaten for breakfast, regardless of how many calories were consumed, they created twice as high a diet-induced thermogenesis as that same meal consumed for dinner. And of course, they reversed that trend. They switched it up. They had the same volunteers eat a larger dinner and a smaller breakfast, and the same thing happened. They found that that larger breakfast led to an increase in DIT, which is their metabolism, and how they were able to function the rest of that day. And that's not to mention one very important side effect, that a smaller breakfast um, that isn't very filling usually led to an increased appetite as the day went on, especially for sweets. And that is something I see in a lot of my patients who crave sweets that skip breakfast. They don't understand why they crave them and they have a hard time not eating them. A larger breakfast just may be the answer. So what I would like you to do if you are interested is do an experiment on yourself, maybe a week, maybe even a month. Start consuming more food in the morning and see how that generates as the day goes on in terms of your appetite, your cravings for sweets, and of course, how much you're eating at dinner time. Try to keep that smaller. And after a month, you should kind of see how your weight is responding and how you are reacting to that in terms of your your mood and, and how you feel overall. So you may be asking, well, what do I eat for breakfast? That's a large amount of food. Well, that's a good question, and that's something I can work with you individually on. But this is a general recommendation, and this is not for – this is – different for all sizes is um, incorporate probably 30 to 40 grams of protein for breakfast. You can do that in a protein shake, a couple of eggs, maybe a side of lean meats in the morning. Um, Greek yogurt, berries, fruits are great. You can get some carbs from that. If you want a piece of whole grain toast, bread, um, you can get up to, it's really not about the calories. It's more about the bulk of the food that you can do, but there's a lot of, lot of options there for you that you can eat. All right. The third misconception I see a lot in my patients is the debate on um, soda, uh, specifically diet soda for uh, weight loss or health. And soda itself for my weight loss surgery patients is eliminated because of the carbonation, which can stretch or hurt the pouch. However, if we're talking about drinking soda for weight loss, regular soda, no way. We all know that. Tons of calories, tons of sugar. Um, Definitely should be a no-no. But when you get into that diet realm, there's a lot of debate. And I see it everywhere. I hear it every day. Again, I dive through the research. There was a recent French study that that showed some correlation between um, people that drank regular and diet soda and having the same chance of heart disease. That study is interesting, but it really does make me pause because it really doesn't factor into is it the, the diet soda causing the heart disease or is it the assumption that somebody who is more likely to drink diet soda than going to eat foods that cause heart disease. And that gets to that that crux of the argument. If a person drinks artificially sweetened drinks, does their body think they're consuming something and they're not, they're thereby creating this 
this uh, need for food, meaning somebody who drinks diet soda may end up eating junkier food or more food or more calories and therefore not lose any weight. I can agree with some of that. I'd have to, of course, look at my individual patients. But for the most part, when you're talking calories in versus calories out from that specific angle, you have to argue somebody who goes from regular soda to diet soda should technically lose weight. But you have to look at their diet logs to see if they have changed their eating habits. So if you enjoy soda and you want to go to diet and drink that as something you like for a weight loss diet, you should be able to do so without concern. But do watch yourself there. The other part of diet soda and any soda at all is where we get into that health benefit. Is it good for you? Of course, it's not good for you. Um, is it bad for you? We don't know. But we know there's chemicals in there. There's artificial sweetener in there. There's no nutritional value there. So you have to make sure you understand if you're going to drink soda or diet soda or water, of course, you're always going to want to drink water over diet soda. So just keep that in mind, have your diet soda, but try to keep it limited. And the final point I want to touch on in this podcast is one that's near and dear to my heart. And this is associated with those in your life that you know, that may have never had a weight issue, had struggled with any weight at all, and basically have the freedom to eat whatever they want. This would include grown adults and children and the conception in a household that I see a lot in my patients is that the person seeing me to lose weight has to eat separately from the family meaning the family members in in their lives don't have weight issues therefore they can eat all the cookies cakes uh, fried foods fast foods that they want pizza what have you whereas my patient has to stay separate from that because they need to lose weight so why is this so near and dear to my heart? Well, it's because the angle that we're attacking this at in terms of weight loss only. Exercise for weight loss, eat healthy for weight loss. we got to look at that health because this country and the world has too many people in it that not only are overweight, but even if they're not overweight, they are unhealthy and they are dying younger, basically from something like heart disease, based on what they put in their bodies over the course of 10, 20, 30, 40, or 50 years. So we have to start looking at the, the accumulative effect of all the foods that we eat every day. There's no such thing as bad foods. There's room for pizza. There is room for fried foods and wings. And there's room for candies, cookies, chocolate, what have you. But to say that because you don't have to lose weight, you can pretty much eat no vegetables, no fruit, just whatever you want. Drink your beer every night. Have your regular soda is not only, of course, silly, and, and I think we all know that, but can lead to a shorter lifespan for some people that engage in that. So I don't want I don't want to encourage that. And I want, if you're listening to this, just to remind you that it's not something you want to encourage in your own family lives, the loved ones you have. We want to get people on board with a good quality nutritional plan. Again, whether they need to lose weight or they don't. So if you're on a journey to a healthier lifestyle, it is good to have your loved ones along with you. It makes it so much easier. So cleaning out the pantry, getting a plan in place um, for your future and to completely overhaul your diet for not only you but people you love is going to help you be successful and it's going to hopefully help them be successful later if any health issues start occurring. All right, so that was fun. I hope you enjoyed that. Again, I keep it succinct. I really do appreciate you listening. I hope you learned a little something. If you do have a question, I'm happy to answer you. Dietitian underscore dad on Instagram and TikTok. And um, you can email me, registereddietitianmike at gmail.com. Tune in for my next episode. I'm going to cover scams in relation to diets. It's going to be a really informative episode. That should be out in a week or two. Um, but for now, 
appreciate you listening. Have a great day, and I'll see you next time. Follow me on Instagram and TikTok at dietitian underscore dad while you wait for the next episode to drop. And remember, permanent changes lead to permanent results.